Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week we're reviewing Mockingbird by author Chuck Wendig. Wait a minute, is this, does this feel like deja vu to oh, you? Oh, <laughs> it might be a little confusing to people because we did review Blackbirds last week, but yes, this is the sequel. Yes, it is. I already confused, so I'm going to start by saying I already confused Craig Wallwork. I used the, I used that because uh, I happened to be on the Wi-Fi when I finished the book. I used that, um, you know, I just finished this book, and Craig Wallwork comments on Twitter. He says, "Did you did you not finish the book before you did the review?" And I was like, "No, man, this is the sequel." So yeah, for anybody that's confused, this is not the book we reviewed last week. It's a totally different book, kind of the same, but not really. <laughs> that's right. Um, so uh, here's a little bit about Chuck. Chuck Wendig is a novelist, screenwriter, and game designer. He's the author of Blackbirds, Double Dead, and Dinopocalypse Now, and is the co-author of the short film Pandemic, the feature film Him, and the Emmy-nominated digital narrative Collapsus. He lives in Pennsylvania with wife, Taco Terrier, and Tiny Human. Do you do you know what a Taco Terrier is? No, but did you get the feeling when you read it the first time that, that like like it was like with wife and that her name might have been Taco Terrier? <laughs> Well, I thought the tiny human was Taco Terrier. I'm very that, confused. Yeah, I don't know. What is a Taco Terrier, though? I don't know. If only there was a way we could find these things out. Um, oh, my God. I think it's an actual thing. Oh, it is an actual thing. Toy Fox Terrier slash Chihuahua. There you go. Taco, Terri- Taco, Terrier. Taco Terrier just sounds racist. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right, so... <laughs> As we talked about, uh, we, we reviewed Blackbirds by Chuck Wendig last week, and this is the follow-up. This is Mockingbird. Uh, so I'm going to read you the synopsis that we pulled off of, I'm assuming, Amazon? Amazon it is. All right, here we go. Miriam is trying. Really, she is. But this whole settling down thing that Lewis has going for her just isn't working out. She lives on Long Beach Island all year round. Her home is a run-down, double-wide trailer. She works at a grocery store as a checkout girl. And her relationship with Lewis, who is on the road half the time in his truck, is subject to the piss and vinegar Miriam brings to everything she does. It just isn't going well. Still, she's keeping her psychic ability, uh, which is to see how someone is going to die just by touching them, in check. But even that feels wrong somehow. Like she's keeping a tornado stoppered up in a tiny bottle. Then comes one bad day that turns it all on her ear. Yep. That's it. We can go home. These synopses, exactly. They're yeah. they're yeah. They're they're good, and they tell you just enough. So, um, obviously, if you didn't listen to the last episode, we liked um, Blackbirds enough that we immediately jumped into reading Mockingbird. So this is only the third time we've reviewed both the first and the second book in a series. Do you remember what the first two times were? I'm gonna say Yellow Medicine and Hogdoggin. Mm-hmm. And I got nothing. The Last Werewolf. Oh, and Tallulah Rising. And Very Tallulah good. Tallulah Rising, good. yes. So um, this is uh, only, well, and again, I don't know how many books we've read that actually had sequels, but uh, we like this one enough that it was worth uh, to just keep reading. So for those of you who haven't read the first book um, or haven't listened to the first episode, we're going to probably be a little light on story here as to not expose any of the goings on in, in um, Blackbirds. So strongly urge you to well i would think right and we only gave people a week to read you know the the book there's a whole week how long does it take to read a book (laughs) 
<laughs> for you it's one sitting like the day before we're recording <laughs> like i'm gonna knock this out right now i'm not getting up until this book's done baby so okay that's fair we're being so. good to our readers listeners or listeners those two Oh, so. we will have readers soon enough, though. So that's we will, what I'm getting on, but we'll yeah. talk about that a little later, I think. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. All right. All right. All right. All right. So this book t- picks up, I believe it's probably around a year. Is that correct? Is that right? A year after I the f- end yeah, of something Blackbirds? Like that. Yeah. And uh, Miriam is doing uh, the, the old nine to five. Um, <laughs> she's settled down with Lewis. She's working at a, at like a convenience store in, uh, you know, near like a, in a touristy area. So she's selling lots of suntan lotion and that kind of stuff. So uh, definitely not what we uh, what we know of our girl from book one. Yeah, and so the whole idea is that um, after everything that happened in the first book, Lewis, more so than uh, Miriam, wants things to just settle down and become normal. Um, so he tries to help her get a you know a, a standard everyday person type of job, and uh, encourages her to leave this whole ability behind of touching someone knowing how they die. So he helps her get a job at this uh, store and is just pretty much encouraging her to uh, act normal while he's on the road. And uh, as the synopsis even says, it doesn't, that doesn't last very long into the book at all. Well, no. And what's funny about it is there's, there's a specific event that kind of sets off the events here. Um, somebody and i guess this is pretty early on but some nutcase comes into the convenience store with with the intent to to, to maim injure and, and kill people but what i find even more amusing is when she goes home from that she's already got like all kinds of problems where she lives too yeah so she's just miriam's like a trouble magnet and i think that's kind of awesome because i do believe there are people out there like that like if some kind of weird shit is going to happen it's going to happen around or to that person yeah, yeah, she definitely falls into that category because like, it doesn't seem yeah, it doesn't seem like, well, a like, it doesn't seem like she can have a normal life, but like, having the the life that a norm you know that we would think is normal or your average person would think is normal, just is so uncomfortable and and just unbearable to her. Yeah, so Lewis in uh, in keeping with trying to kind of. Um, be her guide to a, to a more normal life, um, realizes that he's failing and decides that he's going to uh, set her on a task that's more akin to, to what you know to what she is and what she's good at. So he has a, an acquaintance who thinks that she's dying. So he basically hooks Miriam up with a gig to go to this all girls um, school, which is kind of more like a like a kind of like a reform school, I guess in a way. I yeah. mean, not in that like crazy you know prison type reform school but it's a school where troubled girls end up um to help this this teacher and miriam's job is real simple go there touch the lady and tell her how she's gonna die yeah so it's kind of like uh so in blackbirds and this isn't spoiling thing because it's kind of how the book started out essentially miriam would take her ability and she would use it to find people who are going to die soon so that she could then kind of be there when the the person dies and grab their cash and their credit cards and stuff like that so she just lived by scavenging from from the people who she knew were going to die sometime soon and lewis's idea essentially was to take her ability which she was using to live a not so good life and try and find a different way to apply it that could maybe give someone um more closure or just more understanding of what's coming for them yeah, I think I think that you 
first of all, I can't believe that we didn't talk about what her ability was before <laughs> before launching into the story for people who have. Well, it's in the synopsis. It does say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that's where that's where you know shit goes wrong. Basically, she winds up finding out that there's a, a kind of dark cloud over this over this school, and that uh, through her ability, she sees some terrible things that are going to happen to some of its students. And uh, Miriam decides that it's up to her to put a stop to it. Yeah, so that's probably the spoiler wall right there, right? More or less. Yeah, I mean, there's some specific things I'd like to talk about about the story, but yeah, as far as story goes, I think that that's pretty much where we kind of need to leave it. Yeah. We do get further exploration um, into her into her abilities, and not, not so much her ability doesn't change. We don't see any more of that, but we start to kind of find the thread and the reason maybe that, that, that she has this ability or what her, her fated course is. Um, with it which is which is kind of interesting and the way it was played out kind of leads me to believe that that at least uh, Wendig has done the smart thing and left this open for a long series of books I'm just assuming yeah. based on their success with readers so yeah I feel like that's the case and one of the things I like about reading this one um, is that I feel like I got more of an idea of some of the things that were going on in the first book as well I don't think this is really going to spoil anything because I can be vague enough where you won't understand but the whole snow shovel thing was kind of weird for me in the first book. But it made, the way he introduced it in the second book, or like at least talked about it, made so much more sense. And, and it like it was cool because it added more depth to the character and more, I think, kind of more value to my memories of reading it in the first book. What do you think? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think that that's pretty accurate. Um, he, he, he wound up you know giving us just enough to like want you to have more you know what i mean that makes you want to read more Mm -hmm. which i i thought was was great because quite honestly you know towards the end of the the last book you know you kind of got a glimpse of of something a little here's the thing so in the first book even though this woman can this girl can touch people and see how they're gonna die it didn't feel terribly supernatural would you say that's right it was more like um yeah, uh, yeah, kind of more like a Rain Man thing where mm-hmm. like you could count the matches or whatever. Right now in this book, it definitely took a more supernatural feel. At least I, I felt that way. Yeah, you got more of a glimpse of, um, it, without I, I don't know the re- best way to say it, but like the power behind mm-hmm. what was causing her to have that ability, and even like, um, more like, and, and it's a perspective that you don't really think of of like the point in her life where she began to have that ability too and and drawing the connections between you know before and after and everything i thought was really cool yeah um again i don't want to so we do have louis louis returns um in this book (laughs) as as we mentioned um and and this this poor bastard he's he's in love with someone who's very obviously very damaged and he just keeps trying and just doesn't know that it's best for him to just let miriam go on her crazy ass way yeah, uh, but but I kind of applaud him for that too. Too in a way, he makes for uh, for an interesting, um, if kind of dolty, I guess, character. Yeah, and the nice thing about the nice thing about him in this book, as opposed to the first one, is in the first one he just you know he was just kind of like a dopey. Uh, I don't know if dopey is the right word, but like you know, kind of a love struck, 
you know, gentle giant kind of person, but and you don't and he he more or less stays the same start to finish. But in this one, there is a noticeable change in the way he acts from the beginning to the end, and he has more of an integral role, which is is cool. Yeah, his his role. I don't. I mean, I think we're kind of spoiling the first book by talking about him at all. But at this point, what can we do? Um, yeah, his role in the first one was just to die. That's like that was like his entire. <laughs> It was though, if you think about it, that that's the purpose he served in that book was he needed to drop dead. So, which if you can't tell by now from the sequel, he failed at that too. So, <laughs> yeah. So his character though, the fact that like we see him now knowing how Miriam's ability works and trying to change her and not working the way, like he always kind of he's trying to adapt to the situation and. And I mean, it's basically like a, it, it's a relationship with a really weird twist to it. And it's like, he's trying to make the relationship work, but he's just trying to make her being his life work, I think. Yeah. So, Other than that, as much as I'd love to talk about the, uh, you know, the, the, the bad guy in, in this book, I, I really don't know that we should. Should we? Can we? A little bit? Uh... Hmm, I don't think so. I was looking at the, uh, yeah, the synopsis is just, the synopsis cuts off way before the bad guy. Um, so it, it's so cool that I don't think I want to really kill it, you know, kill the surprise for anybody. Okay. But Well, that's it. Then we're done. <laughs> we're done talking. Um, you got a, a lot more of the <laughs> Keep same. Keep reading. <laughs> a lot, yeah, a lot more um, just great Miriam inner monologue stuff. Um, you know, she's every bit as voracious as she was in the first one and, and just, you know, kind of adorable in this very um, broken kind of nonsensical way. Like she's just very tongue in cheek. And in some ways she reminds me of, and I know it's a name that's gone up a lot, but um, Richard Lehman, who I've been trying to figure out a way for us to review a Richard Lehman book now for, you know, the whole time we've been doing this uh, kind of that, can still do the funny stuff even in the face of like horrible things that happen and i think that's one of the things that makes her likable is you know there are various parts throughout this where she's in great danger or you know she's she's injured or whatever and she still can manage to to crack a joke at someone else's expense yeah yeah and although you know that may not be an endearing quality in somebody that uh (laughs) that you know (laughs) when you're reading a book it's great yeah, and here's the thing I love about Miriam in this. Like, you see such a spectrum of her personality. I know I kind of talked about this in the in the review for Blackbirds, but like, you see her being just funny or or not really goofy, but like, funny in a sarcastic way. You see her being pretty much downright cruel to people, but then like, there's weird moments. So like, this takes place. A lot of this takes place at a, a uh, like Livia said, a reform school for girls. And she's interacting with them, some of these girls and some of these scenes. And she just turns into such a little, like, petty child, like, <laughs> sticking her tongue out at girls and stuff. And it, and it just, it's funny to watch her, like, devolve uh, uh, into, like, these different, like, personalities, depending on who she's interacting with. It's pretty cool. Agreed. You about ready to move on to some quotes? Um, hmm. No, you got other stuff? I think anything else, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably just throw all my kind of overall thoughts into my wrap, uh, my wrap up and everything. So yeah, let's do some quotes. Cool. I don't have my quotes ready. Neither do I. All right. 
pros here. We're total pros. We win an award and everything's just out the window. We don't care. We don't have to be prepared. That's right. We don't have to worry about it until like, yeah, what, um, like December of this year. We got to really pick it up when the voting starts again. Yeah. <laughs> Can I, all right, I, I'm going to start out with one that's just like a little bit graphic. And, and I was thinking about this too when reading this book is that uh, sometimes with the sarcasm or the, or the humor or just the more mundane aspects of the book, you forget how kind of shocking and sometimes gruesome the book can be. But this is a good example. Uh, 8% into the book of, <laughs> I guess it's kind of a humorous moment, but at the same time, a little bit graphic. Uh, Miri- Miriam further assures him that this was why the hammer earned the name because it was for smashing both balls and peens. So he could take great caution. Yikes, dude. Yeah. My my first one isn't even a whole sentence. I just it's it's one statement. Smoking like a cancer factory. Yeah. <laughs> that one I, I thought of you when I read that. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm saying. Loved it. So I may have to use that myself. Alright, I got one for you really quick. She knows what's coming. Mentally she's fine with it. He doesn't want to be with her. Why would he? Emotionally? Well, emotionally she's a garage full of cats on fire. <laughs> Yeah, he has such a such an interesting way of of terming things, and I think that's one of the things that I enjoyed the most about uh, about this book. Um, here's here's one that's the not safe not safe for work. Um, this is attributed to uh, to Miriam, but like like pretty much all the great lines in the books are. Uh, I like my coffee like I like my men, hot black and coming down my throat. <laughs> I knew there was no way this wasn't going to be a quote that we. <laughs> I've never heard that. I've heard lots of great ones like that, but I don't think I've. It's it's always like about women, so. It's true. All right, here we go. Uh, just the parade of craziness c- continuing. Uh, they were checking into a motel, and this is her uh, thoughts on the the guy that was checking them in. The guy who checks them in looks like a true blue sister fucker, who is himself the son of a true blue sister fucker. Eyes too big, face too small. Fingernails so brittle, they look like broken seashells. <clears throat> um, and it's nice because we can go back and forth from funny to like serious. Um, this one's again very, very short and sweet, but this is a little almost too descriptive for me. A chill crawls up Miriam's spine, a parade of baby spiders. That was probably my favorite quote in the entire book, to be honest. Oh bummer! If I would have, I'd liked it too, but I would have let you have it if you. Uh, I don't even know if I had highlighted, but I really, really liked it. I have a little bit of a longer one. Um, in any, t- I love this. In any town, in any city, the bus is like the filter in a filthy swimming pool. It catches the dregs, the rotten leaves, the dead toads, the used rubbers. This one's no different. The guy at the front smells like piss and Doritos. He's dressed in the latest hobo chic, though whether he's homeless or just an incontinent hipster is unclear. Yeah, good stuff. Like, reading some of these quotes, it's like, I gotta... Kind of like in the last episode, you said you have to remember that someone wrote it because you want to attribute it to Miriam. But I, mm-hmm. I, I get the exact opposite feeling where I'm like, I just want to hang out with Chuck Wendig. <laughs> Here's a quick one that I just thought was funny because it just seems so out of place in the book. But uh, he's talking about uh, Miriam's on the grounds of the school and there's squirrels all around who like they're the type of squirrels that just walk right up to you. Just a quick little quote. 
school squirrels are forever unafraid. <laughs> like, that's the type of thing. It's like, why did, you know, like, I, I personally appreciate it, but I don't even know why he took the time to write that, you know? It's, it's a detail that you wouldn't expect. No, and I think that's what makes it kind of special. So. Yeah. Here's another longer one that's, um, I think, Rob, you were saying how you see her be really mean and you see her be kind of caring and you see her be kind of crazy. And then there's this other part right here. This, this I think defines it. She thinks to kiss him on the cheek, but then isn't sure. Is that a mixed message? Does she even know what kind of message she wants to send? Instead, she salutes him. Then she winces and says, I don't know why the fuck I just saluted you. <laughs> he stares at her like she's a total moon unit, which she probably is red faced and confused. Miriam goes to join Katie at the entrance. <laughs> love that yeah yeah and there's yeah it's like she doesn't know how to interact with people like she doesn't know what people expect from her and so she hits those weird awkward moments well it's kind of like you said i don't know how much that forwarded the story any you know we talk to these writers who are always about everything you write has to forward the story you know it's just a great moment yeah you know without any story development i mean it's a little bit of character development i guess but just great stuff I love this one. You ready for this? Everyone always says they can taste something in wine. Chocolate, pipe smoke, figs, grass clippings, the sweat off a nine-year-old Cuban boy who's been floating around in the ocean for two weeks on a raft made of banana crates. <laughs> but Miriam can only ever taste angry grape. <laughs> oh, it's just the whole book is like this. It's just, it's so rewarding to just read the way that's written. Here it is. Here's here's another one that's that's a perfect example of, of what you just said. Engage in wanton promiscuity. What a great phrase. Wanton promiscuity. If it's so bad, they shouldn't make it sound so interesting. It almost sounds like an appetizer. Wanton promiscuity. That's a dude fucking his soup, just going to town on it. Sure, he's scalding his gonads, but that's the price of forbidden love, am I right? Oh, I have one that's not too long after that, I think, that compliments it well. Miriam had just said something kind of graphic to one of the girls at the school, and this is the girl's response. That's a real nice thing to say to a young girl, filling my impressionable head with images of non-consensual ursine lovemaking. That's from like an 11-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am going to uh, I'm gonna close out with this one, um, which again, I think I mentioned this last week that there are just some of those kind of thoughts or statements that are in here that, you know, you'll wind up thinking about again and again as circumstances merit. Um, I remember my father saying, if you beat a man halfway to death every time, you will never quite kill him. Love it. Yep. Here's, here's another one. I think this goes well with that. She's talking to Miriam uh, at one point is talking to, oh, I'm going to censor who it is just because it might be a little spoilery. Mm -hmm. But uh, the quote is, People don't change. They just put a new face on old problems. Yeah. Good stuff. Oh, and um, did you notice uh, there was at one point where uh, it's kind of a flashback to Miriam's past, and there's a box full of books and stuff, and uh, there were some of the obvious choices like Stephen King and everything, but did you catch one of the names of the other authors? You know, I did, and I can't Pop remember what I poppy bright that's right yeah oh, I, I highlighted that just because you've mentioned it several times on the podcast exquisite corpse man yeah. uh, you know if we ever go back and do a classic like a classic month or something we're gonna do exquisite yeah. corpse 
So like all throughout the book, I'm like, like I said earlier, I want to hang out with Chuck Wendig. And I got to the point where he mentioned Poppy Bright in the list of like books that she was reading. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, Livius wants to hang out with Chuck Wendig. Yeah. We got to find this guy and figure out where he's at. All right. Are you all done? You wrapped up on quotes? Yes. Yeah. Want to start the wrap ups? I'd love to. You go first this time. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so winding back to the previous episode, we gave we each gave five stars to Blackbirds, which doesn't happen very often. We do we are pretty generous with our, our our ratings and stuff in general, but the five star is a tough one to hit, just because I mean it means you love the book. It means it was a it, you know a really 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 exceptional read, and so going into Mockingbird, you basically have two options: either it's going to live up to or exceed what you read in the original book, or you're not going to like it as much and it's going to be a little bit of a disappointment. So uh, I'm always a little nervous going into a sequel, especially if I cared a lot for a book. Like if Josh Deach for some reason uh, got to the point where he made a sequel to Strangers in the Proportion, I'd be really nervous about that just because like I loved Strangers in the Proportion so much that I I wouldn't want to not like the second book as much. So going into this, I had that kind of basic anxiety about it and uh for no reason even from the beginning of the book it picks up in a very smooth um tone just like you know we were picking up where i left off probably nice that i had read it back to back but um (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's probably helpful still in the mood still in that kind of like you know emotion and everything but um and then the story uh it it was nice It, it was one of those situations where it feels like he established a very good foundation for um, what could be expanded on greatly. And so this is a good example of how he took what he fo- he built the foundation of and expanded on it in a way that was just so nice because like you weren't confined to just you know what we read in the first book. He, he, he made it different and better and, and more. And, um, but in that way where it has all the consistent kind of things that I liked about the first book. So it was a very, very long-winded way of saying um, if you like Blackbirds, I think that you'll love Mockingbird. There's just he just took it in such a great direction. And all right, I'll give you an example of what doesn't work so well. The Dexter books are all pretty much the same. You know, like he has like this basic formula he does in every book. You can expect about the same from it. But this is not what happened in this case. It's basically like he started something and it just like is expanding and growing and getting better as he goes. So. Um, I dug this again, and I, I don't see any way I couldn't give this a five-star rating as well. All right. Um, Rob explained a lot of the things that I wanted to say and was thinking, and I'm glad he did it because he did it in such a uh, such a eloquent way. Um, I also had the same worry. and my, I shouldn't say the exact same worry, a very similar worry. So my worry was... You can never recapture the magic of being introduced to a character that you like. So, you know, whatever series it is, and there's a couple of them where I go back and forth and say, eh, yeah, maybe I like the second one better now because of where I'm at in my own head, you know, but there's never quite that magic of meeting that, that great character a second time. So as much as you want to go back, and it's the same holds true for movies. There are very few movies that anybody would say the second one was better, and that's because you were really kind of blown away by the people that were in the first one. So I had that same kind of concern. Um, but what Wendig did was give us a little bit deeper in the story, put put the hook in a little deeper, tugging you along, wanting you to find out 
wanting making you want to find out more about Miriam and her her gift, her dark passenger. You like that? That was because you oh, mentioned Dexter. Yeah. Boom. So um <laughs> Yeah, but you know, so the story expanded. It's it's very it's very different in scope. I think it's a lot more supernatural, which I again I realized when I said it earlier, it sounds stupid when I'm saying that there's a story about a girl who can see how somebody's gonna die by touching him and saying that this book's more supernatural, but I feel that way about it. Like the first one wasn't very supernatural at all. Um so yeah, I mean it's you, you're right. It's you can either go one of two ways. You you can fault the book for not being your first introduction to a character. Um, I will disagree though. I will disagree with you just slightly. I can't say it's better, but I will put it on even plane with the first one and put it at five stars. Yeah, that's fair. Not better, different. I didn't, I didn't well, like yeah. it better, but yeah, it's it's definitely it's got it's got enough different there that it makes it interesting to read and it's not more of the same and you're right because there are series i've read 10 12 14 16 books and when you read that you get to the point where they are all the same the only thing you read for is the character yeah i'd read miriam for the character but there was enough story there to 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 back that up yep and really now that we've done our wrap-ups and everything we've told you what we can about the story it is so disappointing that sometimes that we can't spoiler the books because like Damn, if there's just not so many awesome things that I'd love to talk about. Oh, I agree, and I'm sure you and I will talk off off the show about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, can I mention that um, I also have? We haven't done this in probably a year, but um, uh, like a read this, not that kind of thing. Sure. Um, I didn't have it. I only was able to read the first two because I haven't caught up for the book. But I did mention this on the show before. But this did remind me a little bit. Um, structure-wise, the kind of supernatural thing that's going on in it, a little bit of the Dead Band series. Do you remember me mentioning those? The Lee yeah. Goldberg oh, yeah, and yeah. William Rabkin. Um, I, I think they did the first one, but basically they just farmed this out to novellas to other authors, and I thought it was uh, worthwhile to mention that uh, Neil Smith's uh, episode of the Dead Band series, uh, number 16, Colder Than Hell, just came out um, about a week ago, 10 days ago maybe. But it's... Uh, I, I'm not similar story wise but it's if you like this there's a good chance that that you'll you'll enjoy the dead man books at least the i read the first two and i plan i have three more but i'm planning on getting to them in between show books one thing all right now you got me thinking too about like similarities and stuff like Mm -hmm. that um a lot more so in this book than in the previous one in blackbirds a lot more so in mockingbird um i felt a parallel to some of the feelings I got when I was reading Strangeness in the Proportion, and that's one of the reasons I mentioned the book. Uh, and, and I really can't get into why, <laughs> but like some of the stuff that happens later on in the book, which Livius mentioned, it is a little more supernatural, but some of those more supernatural-ish scenes or the explanations of going deeper into her ability and stuff gave me a feel a lot like when I was reading Strangeness in the Proportion. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that a lot, and and I will say for anybody who hasn't heard, sorry about Wendig is in good company. If anything about it reminds you of Strangeness in the Proportion, so true. Um, I will say probably Livius's biggest disappointment. I'm guessing uh, Miriam's head does not explode into a thousand birds in this book either. No, and you know what? The cover would kind of lead you to believe that, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. <laughs> so um, we didn't talk about the cover because it is is very similar, right? and not similar like in a bad way, but. These are definitely um, a recognizable book cover. So if and when the third one comes out, I guarantee you would need titles on it to know that this is this is a Miriam Black book. 
I, I looked into the uh, the artist of the uh, the covers, mm-hmm. and he does a lot of really cool stuff. I think he's not necessarily just book covers, but I've I've seen him do uh, like his website. He's got you know his other work and everything, and album covers, just random mm-hmm. design stuff and everything. But I think that of everything I saw on his website, the Wendig books are probably the thing I like the most. Thank God he doesn't just do book covers. There can't be a whole lot of money in that. <laughs> in my experience, no, probably yeah. not. So, um, now that we're kind of done with our review, can I read you the the one review that I that I picked from? Yeah, yeah. I went back on to get the uh, the synopsis. You know, I did my research. So I copy and paste it into our Google Doc, and, and I happen to notice that there's there are no one star reviews, which is great, but there is a two star review. So for, from time to time, we find these uh, these wonderful low reviews, and, and they're interesting enough to share on air. So uh, here it is. Penny S. Fredrickson, and then in quotes it says Flametop. So Flametop has this to say. This is an Amazon verified purchase, so she did purchase this book from, uh, from Amazon. I bought this book because it looked to be an exciting fantasy. That it is, but the language is more than I can take. The, in quotes, F word comes up approximately five times per page. Do, do you still have yours open, Rob? I can in just a matter okay. of seconds here. More on most. <laughs> so, <laughs> I couldn't finish because the violence and language were awful. We'll try to figure out how to delete it from my Kindle. Dude, are we missing something about this deleting stuff from your Kindle? That it's that horrible? Because this is the second or this third is, time. Well, yeah. the second time minimum, but I think this is the third time that we've read somebody insist that they must delete it from their unit um yeah it's it's constant like all right okay so there is a i'm at 100 results i'm at 148 there's 148 results for the word fuck in the entire book and it's almost 400 pages isn't it yeah 400 is what it's listed at on on yeah on amazon so it's not so there's not 2000 results for the word fuck right would be five times per page i will give her credit she didn't give it a one star review which she could have done she didn't finish it but she did at least give it two stars that's true but i'm still doing the math on this that's not even one fuck every two pages that's correct so flame top we're talking to you better math lives in vegas you think she probably works at a casino you think she'd have some math skills yeah and she'd think that like why would you delete it off the... I mean, like, I understand, like, you're not going to go back and read it again, so you don't need it on the Kindle, but it's not like you, like, need to save space. Yeah, 1,500 books, I think, the Kindle holds. Penny. Yeah. Penny. Get your shit together, Penny. At any rate. Was that review helpful? No, it wasn't. Hold on a second. Let me click the no button. Nope. Wasn't helpful. <laughs> So uh, I think yeah. that Mr. Wendig is going to go on the on the radar for future stuff, huh? Yeah, I think he's an automatic read almost at this point. Yeah, I don't think we could review another Miriam Black book. I think that'd be pushing it. Well, luckily for the listeners, there's not another one right now. Although Blackbirds and Mockingbird came out strikingly close to each other, so it, another one could drop in any minute. Yeah, you know what? They were four months apart, so yeah. technically I think he might be a little late on the third one. He should have come out in like December. So. <laughs> He is due. All right, enough Wendig. That's goddamn it. That's two two whole episodes on the guy. Yeah. Let's uh let's so give far. some let's yeah let's give some love to another another author. Ah, oh, who do you got? You want to talk about Chuck? 
Yeah, let's, Chuck. yeah let's talk about Chuck. So earlier this week, um, the, the big, big literary announcement on the internet was um, Chuck Palahniuk has announced his next three novels. I've got to tell you that that's kind of a... You gotta be a pretty big name to be able to announce your next three, right? I think most of the writers we know they're 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 hoping to announce one, you know. But he's got three three coming um, out. Yeah, unless you're Stephen Graham Jones. Well, yeah, but his see here's the whole thing. Okay, so Stephen Graham Jones has three come out simultaneously. Paul and Nick's yeah. are broken up over the next three years. The next three Octobers, we'll see um, new Paul and Nick books. That's right. Starting with this October, October eighth, two thousand thirteen, which. That son of a bitch, Chuck Palahniuk, decided to drop a book on my birthday. I don't appreciate that, Chuck Palahniuk. Um, <laughs> tell, tell everybody why. Tell what we figured out earlier. Uh, because no one's going to be talking about me, right? Is that what yeah, we figured yeah out? Facebook will be all busy <laughs> with with talk about Palahniuk, and nobody will notice it's Rob's birthday. Right. Right. So I don't appreciate that. I think he could have planned it better. If he you, if, if he's listening, Chuck, if you're listening right now, I would appreciate it if you would go back to your publisher, see if you can push that back one week so I can get through my birthday before uh, everybody starts talking about your book. I agree. That's not too much to ask, right? I don't think it's too much to ask. I don't think it is either. I think the publishing industry has to give up with the Tuesday release. You could just bump it to the 9th. Yeah, come on. Whatever. Anyway, anyway, so I don't think we're going to be reviewing the next book. It's the sequel to Damned which we did review with the help of Caleb J. Ross. Um, probably in October, looking at his release schedule. <laughs> I'm going to guess it was in October that we released that. October, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> so Doomed, um, it, it's, uh, I forget the main character's name, but basically she comes back, she is sent back to, uh, to, to haunt her parents, I believe, as a ghost for a year. And that's oh, yeah. what, the, what Doomed is, yep. So if the first book was, it's a trilogy, yeah. and the first book is Damned, the second is doomed. What's the third one going to be called? Dumbed? Uh, I don't know, but it's going to be 2016 before it uh, before it comes out. Yeah. Uh, next one up is uh, October of 2014. Beautiful You. Do you know anything about that one? Yeah, interestingly enough, Beautiful You. <laughs> so I'm going to read this to you from the Polonic website. Publishers Marketplace article listed it as a book focusing on the apocalyptic marketing possibilities of feminine pleasure. Um, Polinick is reported as saying it's a <laughs> comic erotic thriller, a mashup of mommy porn and chick lit, such as Sex in the City and fantasy lit like Clan of the Cave Bear. Imagine if Ira Levine had a baby with Jean Awell. Awell? 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 I have yeah, no idea who that yeah. is. So there you go. That's what it is. So he could have said it's a bunch of shit that Rob doesn't care about. I don't know, man. He he can write some some good comedy stuff. Did you ever did you read Snuff? No. Okay. See, Snuff was funny. Snuff was about uh like the world's biggest gangbang. It's like an aged porn starlet. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's she decides to do like a like a five hundred guy gangbang or whatever, and it's about some of the people who are involved in this. One person being the guy who thinks that that might be his mother that gave him up for adoption. <laughs> nice. So, I mean, but, you know, so it's all very tongue-in-cheek, very funny, and, you know, and he pulls it off pretty well. Pygmy, that everyone hated except for me, I also thought was hilarious. So he does comedy good. He does comedy well. I'm leaving that in. I'm not going to edit that. (laughs) I know. And then, October 2015, here's what we've all been waiting for. The sequel to Fight Club. Fight Club 2, Fight Harder. 
<laughs> That's right. You heard Damn it man. here. <laughs> I was trying to think of a rule to Fight Club, and I just couldn't do it. I didn't have anything. <laughs> All right, so that's not it. But the it's, it's this is what inspired me to do it. The title of the book is called "Make Something Up." That's what I came up with. Oh, so you made something up. I did so make something did up. Fight Club Part Two. That's right. Uh, that's French. Yeah, for that two. would be French. Yeah. Um, so that is a uh, a collection of short stories. So here's what I find amusing. I mean, I know Polinik is is a huge, huge draw and a huge name, but. Two and a half years from now, he has a short story collection coming out. Most of them, or I'm sorry, it says many of them of the short stories have previously appeared in Playboy. So it sounds like half of it is an original short stories, but it's two and a half years from now it's coming out. Yeah, weird. Like, there's no reason for that not to drop, you know, in March. Yeah, any time, yeah. Yeah, so. Unless, like, <laughs> there's some sort of weird, like, thing in his contract where books can only come out in October. And one per year or something. No reason he can't. Get I'm that sure out he has a multi-year contract. Um, I'd be surprised that it allows him to do a bunch of reprints from Playboy, though, as one of his books. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, and I'm sure there's something going on there that doesn't apply to, uh, you know, to most of the writers that that, that are close friends of this show. <laughs> well, just because they're kind of free to do whatever they want, whenever they want. Look, so Wendig, you know, not necessarily, you know, not someone we know, but he put out two books within four months. Yeah, Polinick isn't going to be able to do the third book in the in the Damned series till at least 2016. <sighs> damned if you do, doomed if you don't. Doom. Oh, damn! That was good. Wow. We're I'm the on best. tonight. I'm on. We man. just we Come need on. to just mic drop. We'll just throw Skip Papersley's on, and then we'll just get out of here. <laughs> Skip, Skip Papersley. All right. So I did come prepared tonight to do book news. Did you? I did. You're kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not prepared. <laughs> I'm not prepared. And here's uh, what I thought. You know, we don't typically hear Skip sounding really, really sad, but I don't want to hear him sad because that would be heartbreaking. And if I really turned it on with book news and people were like, oh, I don't know why Livius doesn't do this every week, we'll just have like a sad Skip Papersley. We won't have anything to talk about. You know who wants that? Nobody. Nobody, Nobody does. I know. I know. Yeah. Without I further ado, <laughs> that's that's also French. Here's Skip Papersley with Book News. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. Comic book nerds are freaking out that sci-fi writer Orson Scott Card has been selected to write a story of the comic Adventures of Superman. Against typical nerd stereotypes, this is not because Card doesn't know enough about Superman or that he's too pretty of a girl to be considered a nerd. Instead, Card is a homophobe. This reporter agrees with the nerds, but can find Card's stance to be a bit strange, because there's no way Bean from Ender's Game wasn't gay. In other news, rocker John Bon Jovi has been given $2.6 million as an advance to write his autobiography. A book news source was able to obtain some of the early pages, which I will share. It's all the same, only the names have changed. Every day, it seems that we're wasting away. Another place where the faces are so cold, I drive all night just to get back home. I'm a cowboy on a seal horse I ride. I'm wanted dead or alive. Finally, in the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap, George Saunders overstays his welcome in fifth place with the 10th of December. Private dancer James Patterson's Private Merlin is in fourth place. Robert Jordan's A Memory of Light forgets the top spot and is number three. 
Gone Girl is number two, but Gillian Flynn is my number one Valentine. Finally, number one is Danielle Steele, and it will be until the end of time. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. Alright, I don't know which one to react for more comic value. The homophobic Orson Scott Card or Bon Jovi's autobiography? Um, I gotta tell you which one of those I'm gonna read. Probably. Neither. The bon- oh, okay. Neither. That's that's where I'm at. Not reading either one. Yeah, neither would I. And the thing, it was, so uh, Ender's Game is the big Orson Scott Card book that everybody knows and has read probably. And mm-hmm. it's one that I'd never read in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it, like anytime anybody, it was that thing. It's that thing where like, oh, you read? You need to read this, the single book I've ever read in my life because it's the best book in the world, that thing. Mm-hmm. And so, and every, <laughs> and everybody, oh, you need to read Ender's Game. It's such a great book and everything. And then it comes out that he's like this gigantic homophobe. And I don't know, lately, ever since that came out, people aren't really recommending that book to me too much. And I find I find that kind of kind of weird, and not to get off. To- well, I guess it is on topic, but I. So years ago, we had the the million little pieces. What was that guy's name? Frey, James Frey. James Frey. Somehow his book went from being a great story to sucking ass because it wasn't true. How does this guy being a homophobe change the fact that Ender's Game is? I've never read it, so I'm just gonna go with whatever you know, like one of the best books ever. It really has no bearing on. You may not like the guy. You may not want to throw money at him. You may not want to, you know, plot his stuff. But the book has still got to be a really good book. I'm throwing up the quotes because I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I yeah, I agree with you. I think that the only thing that I could think of is that if you view it through a lens of this person who wrote it uh, hates gay people, you might see more of like an agenda against gay people in the stories but that's kind of i I don't know that's probably a little bit of a stretch yeah and and but again it's you know it's the stories and i'm not defending him for being a homophobe and is a homophobe (laughs) afraid of homosexuals well yeah okay all right so if he's afraid of homosexuals i mean not yeah that's right but it's not that doesn't mean he hates them you know well it's a yeah that's what i mean but anyway, yeah. you've already been a Holocaust denier, so you might want to throw that right <laughs> You think I'm denying homosexuality now? Like it doesn't happen? Um, you are from Romania. I've noticed that Eastern European and like certain, not necessarily like limited Eastern European, but lots of countries who are, um, like the type of countries. Okay, like I think Iran was like one of the examples where they just say that homosexuality doesn't exist in my country, like that type of thing. So oh. there are. But culturally, there are places that believe that just because they think it's bad, it doesn't actually exist. The gay deniers? Yeah, they're gay deniers, so they do exist. Oh, wow. Okay. First of all, I'm from Chicago. Second of all, Iran's not in Eastern Europe. I don't know. Like, I, don't know I, don't, I keep wanting to go, but I'm going to stop there. Well, no, I've known, I've known okay. Eastern European cultures that have done that, so that's why I started there, but then I tried to go to a more reasonable example. Any rate, yes, I understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I just when I hear stuff like that, it, it bugs me because on the flip side, then we could say things like, if Haruki Murakami rushes into a burning orphanage and saves a hundred kids, that one Q eight four becomes a better book. That's true. So, well, that's yeah. definitely not true. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. your argument is valid. <laughs> it was bothering me with the fray thing forever. 
Okay, so it started, believe it or not, it started with Millie Vanilli. And the, <laughs> I'm telling you, because here it is. I'm like 17. I think Millie Vanilli's cool. You know, I'm not like their biggest fan, but like the music's catchy. And you'd hear it. I used to, we used to listen to like a top 40 station at work, like eight hours a day. So Millie Vanilli was in heavy rotation. All of a sudden, everyone hated Millie Vanilli because it wasn't those two guys singing it. I'm thinking, you know, 90% of people only ever hear it on the radio. It's the same song it was yesterday. How is the song any less good than it was? Yeah. Didn't uh, one of those Millie Vanilli guys, like, become a murderer? I believe that's true. Yeah. Probably not the one named Rob. I know I, one I, of them was named Rob, and I think it was the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh... I mean, I'll be honest. I let my my Millie Vanilli fan club card expire probably three or four years ago, so I'm not really keeping up with what's going on with Robin Fab. Oh, you knew the other guy's name, damn. Yeah, yeah, I knew the name. <laughs> so, uh, so James Frey, Millie Vanilli, and Orson Scott card. <laughs> yeah, there's your free association for the night on Books yep. Podcast. Here. All right, do we want to say anything about Bon Jovi? I have nothing to say about yeah, or to either. Bon Jovi. I don't either. If he writes a book, we'll try to get him on the show. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, he's got... Well, does the autobiography count? Yeah. No. No, he'd have to do a fiction book. So. All right. <sighs> I feel good about this. I'm in a good place with this episode. Good. Good. Of course you do. You don't win awards by doing shitty episodes. That's right. Jesus Christ, man. So. Yeah, we got to bring our A game. So, Rob, you know what else is uh, special about tonight's episode? What's that? <laughs> this is now, I believe, if I'm correct, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this from back. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Groundhog's Day, and? Yeah, Valentine's Day. That is our sixth holiday in a row that we're recording this episode, <laughs> or this show. So, yeah. um, um, I mention that because that means it's February 14th, that tomorrow is February 15th. Do you know what's on February 15th that we're not going to be doing? Um, uh, only because I, I, I replied on Facebook with a message uh, about how upset I was I wasn't going to be able to attend it. Um, yeah, so uh, Tales to Terrify, the podcast that was the uh, runner-up for the This Is Horror podcast of the year 2012 award, uh, tagged us in a little thing on Facebook, evidently in Chicago, uh, there's there's an event going on tomorrow, February 15th, at the Stella Espresso Cafe on uh, Devon. Uh, it's a bit of a it's a little reading um, called Tales of the Apocalypse. So Lawrence Santoro, who he, uh, is the host of Tales to Terrify, um, is going to be reading there along with, and I'm not familiar with these names, but I'm going to go through them. Uh, hopefully, pronounce them right. Jeremy Solomon, Jeff Phillips, Martin Munt, mm-hmm. and BC Bell. Now, Rob and I have driven to St. Louis. St. <laughs> Louis was five hours, six hours? Yeah. All right. We've driven to Corinthian, Indiana twice <laughs> for readings. Okay. <laughs> you'd think. You'd think we could make it to the one in Chicago. But, unfortunately, it's tomorrow night, a little short notice, um, and we're both working. Yep, I'm working in the nighttime, so I won't be able to make it. But anybody that's in Chicago, any of our friends, friends of the podcast, uh, uh, anybody that doesn't mind a little drive into the city, um, again Stella Espresso Cafe. It's twelve fifty nine West Devon. Uh, it's between. It says seven thirty on the flyer, but on the little note he says it's seven, not seven thirty. Uh, so seven p.m. That's when it gets started. Uh, no cover or anything. Just uh, one, two, three, four, five different readers, 
And it's called Tales of the Apocalypse. So I have to imagine that it's kind of uh, probably a little bit scary or at least apocalyptic-themed stories that they'll be reading. Dude, there's the coolest poster for it, too. I love that. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. So if I were not working, I would definitely be there. So two things. Larry, if you're listening, uh, let us know in advance. A little more advance notice if you would kindly do so. We'd love to come out and meet you. Rob has his Rohypnol ready. I do. Um, <laughs> and uh, Fresh batch, because I think that stuff goes bad after a while. Second thing, <laughs> did you did you see the, the tag in, in the post? Which tag? Uh, what do you mean? He tagged Scholastic Book Clubs. Oh. Yeah. Scholastic Book Clubs, like when you were in elementary school, like second, third grade, they used to bring you that like sheet. It was just like a sheet of paper, double-sided. And it was like the books that you could order. Like your parents would pay like $14 yeah, so. for you to get like a right. little like $4 kids book. That does seem a little off. I'm going to go with you on that. that. That does seem weird, doesn't it? A little <laughs> so, strange. So I clicked on the link and at the top it says, Happy Birthday Clifford. And there's a big picture of Clifford the dog. I'm not really sure how this falls in with Tales. For, <laughs> I'm sorry. Is it Tales for the Apocalypse? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure Tales how that of the apocalypse. Tales of the Apocalypse. I'm not sure that they're going to get that into a lot of Chicago public schools, but hey, Santor, if you could do it, have Big it. Ups. Man. Yep. You deserve that podcast award yeah. more than we yeah. do. Yeah, and you know what? Hey, and if you could do that, listen, we've got a book coming out. If you could hook us up, it'd be great if we can get on that scholastic sheet. <laughs> Third grade reading right there. That's well, listen, did you read some of those stories? Yeah, our stories? I read the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of them are probably fourth grade, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Advanced third grade, no? Yeah, yeah. I don't There's know. There's one about a little kid. He's like in third grade. That's Yeah, well, that one definitely, yeah. So, All right, that's our in. That's what that's the one we pitch with. Yeah. That's what we lead with. We lead with that one. <laughs> You're right. Um, but thank you, Mr. Santoro, for the invitation. We'd love to come down and see a reading in the future. That's right. Keep us in mind. We're not, we're not giving you the cold shoulder. We're just... We need more than two or three days' notice, I guess. Yeah. And thanks for tipping us off to the Scholastic Book Club thing, too. Totally yeah. in on that. All right. Got anything else, sir? Nope. You know what we're doing next week? What? Nothing. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing next week. We have a couple We have a couple of pokers in the fire, so we'll see. We'll see what comes up. Cool. Well, I just want to say happy Valentine's Day, Livius. Oh, Rob, happy Valentine's Day to you, buddy. <laughs> and happy... <laughs> Damn it. I was going to happy Valentine's Day, our listeners, but I don't know if I can with a straight face. It'll be over by the time they hear it. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, well, let's get out of here then. All right, until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading 